Well, hello, listeners. Welcome to another installment of our PHN podcast series. I'm Dr. George Garrow, Chief Medical Officer here at Primary Health Network. And today I'm very pleased to be joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. John Cunningham, a pediatrician who uh, works with us here at our uh, Sharon Medical Group Pediatric Practice. Uh, John, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, George. So um, I invited uh, John to come and talk to us uh, today specifically regarding uh, immunizations in children. John, we certainly recognize that perhaps this year more than any other year, it's really important that we focus on preventable conditions and emphasizing the importance of immunizing against these preventable illnesses. Why do you think that childhood immunizations are so important, especially this year? Well, I think this year in particular, uh, you know, you, you, you're already dealing with a, a global pandemic. Uh, I think the last thing we need is to superimpose other vaccine preventable illnesses on a pandemic. So, you know, there's always the possibility of loss of continuity of care when you're dealing with stress in the healthcare system or stress in society in general. I mean, we've seen it with natural disasters, hurricanes, things like that. There's a potential for vaccine preventable illness to, to occur just because of, you know, logistical uh, realities, whether that's a pandemic uh, because of loss of continuity of care or some other type of occurrence that would somehow interrupt the vaccine schedule for children. So we've been really dedicated over the past six months with this pandemic of, of having a, a strong attitude of persisting with vaccinations through, uh, through this pandemic. That's great. So, so what are some of the immunization preventable illnesses that parents should be aware of? Well, you know, we start immunizing, actually, we start immunizing it in the nursery. We give a hepatitis B immunization, but really, you know, moving forward, the infant schedules is essentially a two, four, and six months of age schedule. The one that um, I always emphasize to parents is the pertussis vaccine. So we give a vaccine called the DTP or diphtheria tetanus pertussis. And uh, pertussis is, is one that I always emphasize to parents as being very important because pertussis is very much an infant disease. 90% of children who die of, or 90% of people who die of pertussis are infants. Um, and it's a transmissible disease. It's spread uh, through the air. And um, it's one where an otherwise healthy adult might develop some significant symptoms like cough, but catastrophic illness is very much a, a reality in infants. Uh, so uh, the pertussis vaccine starting in infancy at two, four, and six months of age is, is very important. Uh, the other two uh, infant immunizations we use are the uh, Hib vaccine. It stands for Haemophilus influenza type B and the Prevnar vaccine, which is a pneumococcal vaccine. And those are two vaccine vaccines against bacteria that'll tend to produce, produce meningitis and blood infections, as well as other type of infections. Like that. Uh, So those kind of three are the ones that, um, you know, we, we give at two, four, and six months of age, they're very important. And uh, I really emphasize those to, to the parents early on. That's great. And so in an instance where maybe the child has gotten off schedule due to all of the factors that we just discussed, is it, you know, then or never, or is it possible to make up and catch up? Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely is possible to catch up, and we can do so pretty efficiently. There is actually a, a kind of a, a standard catch-up schedule that's recommended by the CDC and American Academy of Pediatrics, and we follow that, and there's a relatively straightforward way that we go over with parents. If their children get behind and, and people come in, you know, we work pretty hard to get them caught up, and you know, we can do so pretty efficiently. So I always tend to reassure people that even though they may have missed some vaccine for one reason or another, uh, we, can, we can get them caught up. Not, not, no need to despair. We can take care of it. We have the ability to do that. That's really good to know. All right. And, and any other vaccines that, that parents should be aware of, perhaps for you know, older children or school-aged yeah. children? 
Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, moving in towards toddlerhood, we, we do the measles, mumps, rubella vaccines. We use the measles vaccine. We also have the chicken pox vaccine we give, you know, after their first birthday. Those are the ones that we don't do until they're at least one. Then we have a hepatitis A vaccine. A few years ago, there's that outbreak in Chi-Chi's of hepatitis A through tomatoes and onions. So we give that those, those ones starting in toddlerhood. And then moving forward into, um, you know, to older kids, we give a... Uh, uh, a meningococcal vaccine starting at 11 years of age. Men meningococcemia is a type of bacterial meningitis that's you know, very serious and very abrupt in onset and really catastrophic. And it's, it's really an age-specific disease. I mean, you can see it in children of different ages, but there are certain age stratifications where it becomes more concerning. For example, you hear about outbreaks of meningitis in college. That's often meningococcal B. Um, and we actually have a vaccine for that as well that we start at 16 years of age. Um, so those are important. And we also, in... Um, kind of the teenage years or pre-teenage uh, years talk uh, about the HPV vaccine or the uh, Gardasil vaccine, which is a, essentially a cervical cancer preventing vaccine. So what if parent doesn't recall or doesn't know what vaccines their children may have had or they've moved to a different community and they don't remember what was given when? There's stuff you can do in that visit. So for example, if the child was to come in at the 12 year checkup or say they were 11 years of age um, or even a one year old and they come in for their checkup and they don't know what their vaccine schedule is, it's always reasonable and appropriate to give the age appropriate vaccines. So if they're due for something anyways, you can give them their age appropriate vaccines without necessarily having the immunization record on hand. It's safe, it's reasonable to do. If they were to have happened to have had something and you give a second dose when they weren't actually due for it and didn't need it, it's not really harmful. Uh, it would be redundant, but not necessarily harmful. And most people were reassured by that. If you say, look, they're due for this anyways. This is the age-appropriate vaccination. Then we'll work on getting your vaccine record so we can kind of have a more of a complete picture of what they may or may not need. A commonly occurring situation, people come in if they've moved or perhaps they were in the military and traveled around a lot, something like that. We, we encounter that pretty frequently. We usually take care of today's work today and make sure we get them immunized for what they need. And then we can we kind of work backwards and see if they might have missed anything. You know, I, I'm particularly thankful and grateful for patients in our communities who really were patient um, with healthcare organizations like PHN during the early mitigation phase of the public health emergencies, at, at, during which time we minimized the number of folks that were coming into the office. We provided virtual care when that was appropriate. Um, and now we're, you know, asking folks to come out, come in, you know, get their vaccines, get caught up to stay ahead. Can you tell our listeners what measures are in place to reassure our parents and our patients that our offices and clinics are a safe place to receive care? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a commonly asked question too. A lot of parents, will, they'll call ahead of time if they're uncertain or, or fearful that they may be exposed to COVID or some other type of infection. We, we have a lot of measures built in place. Number one, from a, from a scheduling standpoint, we try our best to cohort patients into sick versus well. From a logistical standpoint, uh, when we're seeing well patients, they're primarily well patients. The other issue with that is somebody is if they're apparently well or scheduled for a well visit, if they had any symptoms, we have actually a COVID screening uh, system where we screen people for, for symptoms of COVID or exposure to COVID, other potential risk factors like travel that might be a risk factor for COVID. Those people, we try to tell them to stay home and we reschedule them. We also have masks available in the in the uh, first floor so that people they have the opportunity to wear a mask when they come in. So the other thing that we do is we try our best to keep these schedules such that we are keeping people out of the way room. We get them scheduled. We get them uh, registered. Uh, a lot of people are registered essentially before they come in and we're able to essentially move them right back to their uh, exam rooms. So they're not really exposed to any other people other than you know, the clinician. We have a lot of measures in place. And from that standpoint, I think that people have been 
very receptive to it. And I think we've had good success as far as keeping people up with their immunizations and, and on their normal health maintenance schedule. We've looked at it from the very beginning that immunization is essential care. Do you have any advice or, or guidance for some of our listeners who may have concerns about either the safety or the efficacy or even the utility of uh, some of the immunizations that we talked about, uh, resources that they could turn to to get reliable, authoritative information about their concerns? The biggest concern I see from parents is really regarding safety. Very few people, you know, come in disputing the effectiveness of vaccines or, or express a lot of concerns about how well they work as far as preventing the disease. The, the primary concern that most parents have is, is with the safety. So usually when I'm talking to parents and counseling them, it's usually in, in light of that. As far as the effectiveness, I mean, the, the baseline level of disease for a lot of these vaccine-preventable illnesses was kind of un, almost unimaginable in, in today's society. I mean, the, the baseline morbidity with measles, about half a million cases per year, and there was a mortality rate about one out of 200, and we just plain old don't see it. I mean, my, my years in residency, there were one of the years there were zero cases in the United States, the other one you count on one hand. Um, so the effectiveness is really kind of indisputable. The statistics show most of these diseases have maybe about a 99% reduction in, in the total disease burden in the community. Um, and then for anecdotally, you know, you talk to people who are older, they knew somebody who had polio or they knew somebody who had one of these vaccine preventable illnesses. They were more commonplace and tragic as they were, they happened. Uh, but most people usually don't dispute that. People who are, are concerned when they come in to the pediatrician's office are usually more concerned with the safety. And that's, that's usually where I spend most of my time as, as far as counseling. The vaccines that we use are safe. I mean, we, a lot of people commonly ask the question, you know, is this a live vaccine? That's a question that people have, you know, as live versus um, inactivated vaccine. That's a commonly asked question. We kind of break that down and explain to them what the difference is between the two um, and when we use the ones versus the other. When we talk about safety, usually it's actually very early visits, usually like a you know, two-month visit, because that's when we start the, the vaccine. We start in the two months of age. Mm-hmm. And usually we allot a fair amount of time for you know, a two-month-old. If people have questions, we try to get them answered. You know, the, the trouble with vaccines is they're very effective and and the diseases that they prevent, people just don't see anymore. So that the idea of these vaccine-preventable illnesses is almost abstract to people. So when you're talking about you know, safety of something, you're talking about protecting against something that people really have never seen. So the safety really becomes a primary issue to them. Whether we give a, a, you know, an antibiotic or whether we give a you know, medication for a different diagnosis or a pill or whatever, people want to know what, the, you know what are the risks or what's the safety associated with this. And you know, the vaccines that we use in the United States really have, we've been using most of these for quite a, quite a while. The ones that we consider new, like the Gardasil vaccine, has been around for over 10 years. Uh, so, and a lot of the other vaccine technology, like the hit meningitis vaccine, has been around since the mid-80s. We started using the, the uh, acellular pertussis vaccine in the, um, in the early 2000s. The, these vaccines have been used for quite a while, and the safety record is quite good. Lots of experience, lots of track record history to go on. Well, John, thank you very much. This has been extremely informative and very useful, and I hope our listeners find it to be the same. Uh, I'd like to thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Keep up the great work. It's uh, a joy working with you, and uh, and uh, I wish you and your family all the very best. I appreciate it, George. Anytime you want me to come in and talk, I'd be happy to. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. See you next time.